The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1968, Episode 4, June. On Wednesday, June the 5th, at Studio 3 at EMI Studios, London, an especially noteworthy day, for it marked the start of the recording of Ringo's debut solo composition, Don't pass me by, don't make me cry, don't make me blue, because you know, darling, I love only you. Strangely, it was titled Ringo's Tune and then became temporarily called This Is Some Friendly. Strange, because as early as 1963, it was reported in the press and revealed in the BBC radio interview that Ringo was halfway through the writing of his own song, and even then called it Don't Pass Me By. A basic track of piano played by Paul and drums played by Ringo was recorded in three takes. Another piano piece and oddly a Christmassy sleigh bell was then overdubbed, filling the four-track tape. I did feel good about this song and and we did it. And you know, I was really excited. It was my first song and it was really exciting, you know, to get it down. And, and everyone just worked, you know, everyone worked as hard on that song as they did on any other song we were doing. So it wasn't like, oh, well, this is a Lennon McCartney, oh, this is one of yours, we give you ten minutes. I mean, everybody worked to the full. Here is how it sounded. I listen for your footsteps coming up the drive. Listen for your footsteps, but they don't arrive. Waiting for you not here on my old front door. I don't hear it. Does it mean you don't love me anymore? I hear the clock is ticking on the mantel shelf. See the hands are moving. Don't pass me by Don't 
During the session for Ringo's Don't Pass Me By, at some point, the Beatles were visited in a studio by Kenny Everett, who was granted a group interview for broadcast in the last edition of his weekly BBC Radio 1 series, The Kenny Everett Show. The interview was utterly chaotic for the first second to the last. Like Everett himself, the Beatles were anarchically unruly, barely uttering anything of value and happily dropping into perverse, brief, ad-lib parodies of various songs. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of tunes to be found in the bags, actually. I got told that uh, you don't actually come in here with the idea of doing an album. It just sort of falls out of one of the sessions. Mm, well, we have a vague idea, you know, Ken? Yes. As I was only saying the other day, we had a vague idea, but very vague. Also, very vague. <laughs> just a bit of laughter, ladies and gentlemen. Have you done any actual complete numbers? No, we're halfway through the second uncomplete number now. Yeah. You don't actually do them whole complete and then finish with them and then start well, another one? See, like, we've got to a stage with one where the next bit is musicians, so uh, we'll have to write the musicians bit, you see. Uh, oh, you see, you see. Do you ever get to, um, you've done your bit and you decide it would be good on its own and then forget the musicians? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somebody stole my gown. Somebody stole my pie. Can you sing me a goodbye jingle? Okay. It doesn't have to rhyme. Goodbye really. jingle. Goodbye jingle. Goodbye. Goodbye jingle. Good, goodbye jingle. Goodbye. Goodbye. And now a word for all our American listeners. Goodbye jingle. Goodbye jingle. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Will it pick them up? Chilling. What? Chilling, it'll pick that up. Of course, it'll pick it. Um, yeah. Is there any particular record out at the moment? Oh, yeah, let me think. Nielsen. 
One of Nielsen's. Which one, particularly? Uh, As you know, we've played quite a few of them. Yes, so let me think, Ken, for the moment. Ah, River Deep, Mountain Dew. Yeah. When I was a little boy, she had a red dog.
was a little baby, my mama used to smash me in the cradle, picking those old cotton fields back home. When mama was a little bitty baby, she used to smash me in my grave. When I was a little bitty baby, back home. That was impresario John Lennon playing for you. And now, a few words from him. And there goes some daddy story I told you, Charlie. So that's what India taught you. Exactly. <laughs> Did you come back with anything incredibly fantastic? Yes. Or was it just a little bit? A beard. <laughs> yeah. I met Donovan the other day. On a show. And uh, he oh, looked I... a little better for us. Yes, it was very healthy, though. I got a, uh, a photograph of you in the Daily Mirror, standing in a sheet. You look very peaceful. That's called a banous, Kenny, and I got it from Morocco. Really? <laughs> Standing in a sheet. What do you mean? It looked like a, a sheet to me. Well, they do. Banouses look very, very like sheets. Mm. See, so as the lower classes in Morocco don't feel too put out. Yeah. Having only the sheets to wear. I'd have black ones if I didn't do. wouldn't show. Where's my cup Very hot, though. Coming. Very hot, Ken. Black okay. clothes. Yeah. Is that mine? Yeah. Very hot indeed. Have you got anything to say uh, that our listeners would understand? <laughs> How about good morning? About uh, anything you've recorded so far? Something that they'll comprehend? No, dear, we're just on two tracks, both unfinished. And uh, the second one's Ringo's first song that we're working on this very moment. Exactly, he composed it himself? He composed it himself in a fit of lethargy. And what do you think about it? I think it's the most wonderful thing I've ever heard since Niels's River Deep and Mountain Dew. <laughs> That's about 30 seconds. <laughs> no, there's, there's an LP out of this, Ken. There's an LP. Hey, listen, you Can should... He ever 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 it's the Kenny Everett out of your head. This is ad nauseum, straight from the mouth that bit me. Kenny. I don't know how he does it, friends. Neither do I, friends. He's sitting here cross-legged on the amplifier, strumbling away. Gurruing. I hope we're going to hear this, listeners, because we have a lot of fun doing them. We never quite hear them, listeners. Never quite hear them when you get home. Well, I will play this completely all the way through, just right. for you. What kind of a guitar is that? Very strange looking. Freckless guitar. Nobody's boy. Get out of listeners. How's business with Apple? Oh, it's, it's one. I could, I couldn't. I mean, what can I say? You couldn't ask for any. I couldn't ask couldn't. for any more tapes or bits of paper. Mm-hmm. They won't get that either, but still. <coughs> so, what, uh, wonderful radio wonders. Ask me a few questions. Okay, Kenny. What are you doing? Well, at the moment, I'm having a daily show come on soon. Really? Yeah. So they haven't sacked you? No. <laughs> I was getting you a job with the Isle of Man. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I've put in the word for you. Thank you. With Ronald Manx. I might need it. <coughs> 
If you're stranded away on a desert island, yeah. what or what one gramophone record do you take with you? Excluding the Bible and Sergeant Pepper's obvious choices. <laughs> one gramophone record. Mm. Uh, it hasn't been made yet. You don't think there's any records worth talking about? <laughs> Not all the way to a desert island. Yeah. There's hair in my saucer. When you produce something of, of such high standard as your last album undoubtedly was... High standard. High standard. Don't you think that you've really got to strive, like... No. ...to produce something no, a little I, bit better? It only got high because everybody said how high it was. It's no higher than it was when we made it. <laughs> yes. The hidden meanings on that one, ladies and gentlemen. No, what I mean, Kenny, is that, um... Uh, you see... It doesn't pose a problem to us. It was so long ago, we've forgotten what it was about anyway. And let me put it this way. That's it. <laughs> hey, listen, um, you were saying uh, last time that I met you that um, you hadn't really had a chance to listen to it, Sergeant Pepper, because oh, you've yeah. just been so busy making it. And I don't think I ever did listen to it since, since we made it properly. You haven't sat heard bits of it, yeah. You haven't really sat down and... Not since... I mean, I played it just after we made it, and that's it, really. Yeah. But I like to hear it on the radio. All right. Shall I play it? Yes, that'd be nice. Ladies and gentlemen, Sergeant Pepper. Mm. Do you think Paul and you could do a, a duo harmony jingle? Well, you'd have to get him. Paul? Can you come and do a goodbye jingle? Oh, well, that's a pretty wonderful idea. Goodbye to Kenny Emberati is our very pal. Goodbye to Kenny Emberati is our very pal. Goodbye to Kenny Emberati is our very pal. Goodbye Kenny Emberati. Goodbye to Kenny Emberati. He is our very pal. Goodbye Kenny Emberati. Goodbye to Kenny Emberati. He is Thank you, John. Wonderful. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Tiny all. Tim, play Tiny Tim. That's you got to play. <laughs> Tiny Tim. Yeah. He's, he's good. Greatest ever, man. Women, women. Oh, he's the greatest. You see. Yeah. You see if I ain't right, Kenny Everett. Give us a rendition of his song. Play Tiny Tim, gentle readers. Tiptoe through the two He's real, man. We saw him. He's like her, but he's much better. You can see him great, really. He's good. He's great. I mean, he's good with it. It's like it's a funny joke at first, but it's not really. 
He's great. How old is he? Tiny Tim for president, oh, tiny Tim for queen. Tiny Tim for president. Tiny Tim for queen. Yeah, thank you, Ronald. He'd like to interview my cohorts for the following Field Month show. What is it? It's the Kenny Everett Show. Well, it's nice to be on the air again. People George speaking. For me, I'm Ice. Oh, no! <laughs> Single bye for me. Kennedy. We love George next week. Is it? Mm. Got the sack. Goodbye, Kennedy. Goodbye, Kennedy. See you at the door. Goodbye, Kennedy. It's nice to see you back. <laughs> bye, Kennedy. We hear you got the sack. Oh. Goodbye, Kennedy. See you in the morning. Goodbye, Kenny. See you in the morning. Groovy, groovy, Kenny. Goodbye, Kenny. Goodbye, Paul. Bye, Kenny. Goodbye, Ringo. Bye, Kenny. Goodbye, John. Okay, Henry. I'll do a rough voice now. A rough voice, then you can play your bits to it. Goodbye, Kenny. I'm thankful for all you've done for us in the past. It's Jay been a pleasure. You're wrong, Kenny. It has not been a pleasure. It has. It has not. <laughs> Repeat, not. <laughs> N-O-T-O. Excuse the rising chorus of Strawberry Fields Forever in jazz tempo. Strawberry Fields Forever. Strawberry Fields Forever. Let me take you down. Because I'm going to Strawberry Fields. Nothing is real. And nothing to be going with. Pay, I tell you. Cooler. Strawberry Fields Forever. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Don't like you can't play it. Put it on. It's going to be played back. What speed is it? 11 and a half. Oh, you crumbs. Well, that goes 7 off. No. Is it? That's only just a touch. Well, that's playing too well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. On June 6th at EMI Studios, London, the Beatles, along with their production staff, were remixing and overdubbing the tracks Revolution 1 and Don't Pass Me By. Sitting at a mic'd mixing console at Number 2 Studios was Yoko Ono. She was recording into the mixing board her most intimate thoughts surrounding her relationship with John. This is Tuesday, If anybody in the world would know how I feel now, because I'm the most insecure person in the world right now. It is quite tough this. Oh, there's no... Oh, I don't know what it is or you think I can do. Well, we've got to be blaming that machine. Oh, that's a bit of a... 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 Oh, that's a bit of a
Yoko's dialogue was bleeding into the Revolution One mix. When a meeting is really, really good, probably that happens. Maybe. Once every two centuries. Never bother to tell it to others, and nobody really believes it, so that we don't know about it. But it's amazing that it does exist. When John noticed what had happened, the idea of using her spoken words for a new experimental track was born, Revolution 9. John would spend the next few days creating various tape loops from various sound effects either he created or from the EMI tape archive. Just a very beautiful review. Okay, let's do it. Voices. Which one? We'll have to do the new voices. You want that phone as well? Well, uh, for the final one, do it. You don't have to do it now, then. You can do it now if you want it. Yeah. Well, it just happens all the way through the plans. Right, like, whenever they're in, just straight plans. John made a beautiful loop, and he's throwing that in to revolution. Can you send slightly less on three? It's very intense, and one, two. Okay, let's go, man. Let's go. So we just leave them on then. Then leave them on. Yeah. I just miss about a bit when his guitar. Right. Did right, you see? Yes, the new, just those ones that goes, "Mummy, daddy, mummy, daddy." Right, they come in towards the end anyway. Yeah, yeah. Wait a minute. But what else is on it? There's nothing else on that track. No, but we had to set on that machine what we want to play. He also used Yoko's dialogue. Maybe it's not there. Twelve effects were compiled on this day. Five marked various, and the others titled Vickers Poems, Queen's Mess, Come Dancing Combo, Organ Last Will Test. Neville Club, Theatre Outing, and Applause TV Jingle. It should be noted that not all these were included in Revolution 9. Some are used by Lennon in an upcoming play entitled In His Own Right. One of John and Yoko's first pieces together was Revolution 9, which was really closer to the conceptual art Yoko had been doing than to anything related to the music of the Beatles. You become naked. 
All the others, including George Martin, desperately tried to keep it off the new album. I, w I really wanted that out, you know. But never mind. On June 8th, in a Melody Maker interview, Paul discloses that the Beatles wrote over 20 new songs while in India. On Monday, June 10th, while John and Paul organized Apple and, in the midst of recording the next Beatles LP, George and Ringo fly to California. The main purpose of George's U.S. visit was to appear in a feature film documenting the life of sitar maestro Ravi Shankar. George was filmed overlooking the Pacific Ocean in the Big Sur area south of San Francisco. <laughs> It is strange to see pop musicians with sitar. When George Harrison came to me, I didn't know what to think. But I found he really wanted to learn. I never thought our meeting would cause such an explosion that Indian music could suddenly appear on the pop scene. Meanwhile, Ringo stayed in Monterey. On June the 11th, two simultaneous sessions at Abbey Road, a telling first. While John was in Studio 3, experimenting with tape loops for the next song, Revolution 9... <laughs> 
is in studio too, starting, completing in 32 acoustic guitar vocal takes, and mixing into mono his new ballad, Blackbird. Cynthia Lennon extended her stay in Italy for an additional two weeks, now scheduled back home around June 12th. Here's Cynthia. One of the hotel waitresses was a Lancashire girl and a great laugh. We became friendly and she suggested we go out for a night. I was uncertain. I was feeling low that day and had a sore throat coming on. I certainly didn't want us to look like two single girls trying to pick up men. She suggested we ask Roberto, the son of the hotel owners, to take us out. He said he would be delighted to accompany us, and I began to look forward to it. So far, I had stayed quietly in the hotel with my family. It would cheer me up to have fun. Roberto was charming and courteous and looked after us beautifully. He was an extrovert and seemed to know everyone in town, introducing us to dozens of people as we moved from bar to bar. I had a good time and for a few hours forgot my troubles. When our car drew up outside the hotel at about 2 a.m., Roberto opened the door for me, and I stepped out to see a familiar figure, Magic Alex. He was hovering outside the hotel, agitated. What on earth was he doing there? He looked at me and Roberto and my heart sank. We went inside and found Mum sitting in the lobby looking distressed. I asked Alex what was going on. He said, I've come with a message from John. He is going to divorce you, take Julian away from you and send you back to Hoylake. This was it then. After so many months of worry, fresh starts and crushed hopes, my marriage was over. I needed to get home, but I was in no state to travel. Mum said she would go back and try to find out what was going on. My aunt and uncle stayed with me to look after Julian. On June the 18th, while John's wife Cynthia was still on holiday in Italy, John and Yoko attended the opening night of In His Own Right, a play adapted from John's two books by Victor Spinetti. Unbeknownst to Cynthia, this was John's first public outing with Yoko, allowing the public to see and photograph his newfound love. John Lennon. When I saw the rehearsal of it, I got quite emotional. You know, 
as if I'd written it. I mean, I knew in my heart of hearts who, who was who and what the book was saying, but not enough. I was too involved with it when it was written, and any criticism it had was either just rubbish or still only writing about what was on the paper. So it took something like this to happen to make me see what what I was about then. Sir Lawrence Olivier, director of the National Theatre, took a gamble on the play for their triple bill. It came from Lennon's books, in his own right, and a Spaniard in the works, which came out three years ago. There are collections of stories and poems, peppered with imaginative and irreverent distortions of the words, phrases and names that are part of our everyday reading, listening and viewing. Satire and melancholy and Lennon's eccentric drawings. The play weaves the verse and the prose into a picture of a boy growing up. On one side it shows his telefixated family, the human vegetables. On the other, the dreams and the fantasies he uses to escape from them. It's like looking at the clichés of post-war Britain in a hall of mirrors provided by Lennon's warped language. BBC Panorama, Shamrock Wounds, and Jack the Nipple, alias Jack the Ripper. The critics in general thought it worth trying, even if it didn't altogether work. Among the expectant audience, Lennon readers were delighted. Non-readers probably sat there astounded aghast. As John and Yoko left the premiere, outraged journalists yelled, Where's your wife? Meanwhile, back in Italy, as Cynthia Lennon coped with the news brought by Magic Alex regarding John's intentions of divorce, and her nursing cold flu-like symptoms, Cynthia was eager to go home. Cynthia recalls, For the next few days I lay in bed while Signora Bassanini fussed over me with hot drinks and cold flannels. When she brought me the newspapers... There was a picture of John and Yoko, hand in hand, on their first public outing together. They were attending the opening night of the play, In His Own Right, adapted from John's books by our friend, the actor Victor Spinetti. The papers refer to Yoko as John's new love. Her persistence had paid off handsomely. After all the letters and calls and the times she'd turned up at our door, Yoko had got her man. Yoko, it seemed, was married too, this was the first I knew of Anthony Cox, her second husband, and her daughter, Kiyoko, who was four months younger than Julian. How were they feeling, I wondered. The pictures of John and Yoko had been flashed round the world, so everyone would know that I had been replaced. It's bad enough to be tossed aside by your husband, but to be tossed aside so publicly was humiliating as well as painful. When news of John's affair with 35-year-old Yoko Ono hit the media, the backlash was instant and furious. The press sided with Cynthia. On the 21st, Apple Corps bought their offices at 3 Savile Row in London. On June 22nd, it's reported in the Daily Telegraph that Apple has bought 3 Savile Row, a street famous for its tailor shops. One of its former owners was Lord Nelson. They buy it for a mere £500,000. Apple press officer Derek Taylor. I went into their office one morning in Wigmore Street. And Yoko was in that office with John. And I didn't know of her and I hadn't seen her. But she looked nice. And John said, this is Yoko. And uh, this is Derek, one of our friends. So I went over for some reason, another kissed her on top of the head. And said, welcome to Apple. And uh, how are you? And so on. And that was, uh, and he said, 
I'll be with her now. And she would kind of say things like, I do not know Beatles. You know, so it was like, wow, you know, there's, there's one person who doesn't know about the Beatles. Wow, you know, and that, I think, was very attractive to John. And she, she would say things, you know, like, oh, you know, I love guys in leather jackets. So he'd get back into his leather and start acting like a teenage hoodlum again, you know, and she'd like all that, and he'd like that. Peter Brown, the Beatles' trusted aide and Apple manager, recalls the staff's initial reaction to Yoko. Paul tried to dig Yoko. It wasn't possible to dig Yoko at the time. She was thrust at us, you know, ero- er- er- you know, and there was no way that you could take Yoko in those days. What was it? What were their reactions when you first brought Yoko by? And they despised her, and they insult her, and they still do. They don't even know I can see it. And the attitude of people to us, and the, the, the bits we hear from the office girls, and the... We know, you know, so they can go stuff themselves. Once again, Cynthia Lennon. As soon as I was well enough to travel, we headed home. Julian and I took a car from the airport to Mum's flat in London. Hours after I arrived, an envelope was delivered by hand. The letter inside it informed me that John was suing me for divorce on the grounds of my adultery with Roberto Bassanini. Presumably Alex had told John I had been out with him. It was laughable. I tried to phone him. We had to talk, but got no answer. What next? Would I be accused of an affair with Alex? What was behind Alex's crude attempt to seduce me? Alex had never been interested in me. He wanted only to stay in John's favour. If Alex claimed we had slept together, it would be his word against mine. He knew I hadn't been unfaithful to him, and he knew that to lose Julian would break my heart. Who was advising him that this was the best way to end his marriage? Mum called my brother Charles, who flew back from Libya where he was working, and found me a lawyer. I was obviously going to need one. Then I called Peter Brown in the Beatles' office. He was apologetic and embarrassed. I'm sorry, Sin, this shouldn't be happening, he said. He promised to try to arrange a meeting for me with John. Peter called back. I'm sorry, Sin, he won't see you. He promised to keep trying. A few days later, he called to say that Mum, Julian and I could move back to Kenwood and John and Yoko would have the London flat. Julian and I had nothing with us but our holiday luggage. At least we could go home. Mum was losing her flat, but she could live with us. It was good to be home, among our own familiar things, and Dot was waiting with hugs and kisses. She couldn't wait to tell us what she thought. Disgraceful, she said, carrying on with that woman under your roof. I don't know how he could do it. She also told me that John had presented Alex with a brand new white Mercedes. I couldn't help suspecting that this extravagant gift might have been a thank you. On June 26th, the Beatles set about the basic rhythm track recording and rehearsing a new John Lennon song. Untitled at present, on the recording sheet was written, Various Takes, Best to be Decided. In fact, the group wiped these and started again the next day. On June 27th, six takes of the rhythm track for this still untitled gobbledygook Lennon rocker, the last being best. The song by the end of the session included drums, two different lead guitars, a vigorously shaken handbell, and a chocolo. Come on and take it easy. Come on and take it easy. Take it easy. 
Once again, Cynthia Lennon. The atmosphere at home had changed. John had gone, and although he'd taken little, the house felt empty. I missed him, and so did Julian, who kept asking when he was coming home. I didn't know what to tell him. I tried to explain, gently, that Mummy and Daddy wouldn't be living together anymore, but it didn't make a lot of sense to him. Why not, he wanted to know, and at that point my resources fizzled out. All I could offer him was, we weren't getting on very well. How could I say that Daddy had decided he preferred someone else? You'll see him soon, I promised, praying that it would be true. I was still calling Peter Brown, asking repeatedly for a meeting with John. Peter's answer was always the same. Sin, darling, I'm so, so sorry. I've given them the message. I know how desperate it is for you, but they're not responding. I'll keep trying. Keep your chin up. Eventually, he called to say that John had agreed to a meeting. He would come to Kenwood to see me the following Tuesday at 3.30. As the time for his arrival approached, Mum, Dot and I were in the kitchen with Julian. We were feeling the strain, and drained by the effort to appear cheerful and normal, our conversation went round and round in circles as we downed cup after cup of tea. I felt terribly nervous, when the front doorbell rang, we jumped up in unison. I looked out of the window. John and Yoko were standing outside together, dressed from head to toe in black. I felt panicky. God, he'd brought her with him. Dot showed them into the den to give me a minute to adjust to this new development. It hadn't occurred to me that Yoko would be there too. Mum was fuming. How dare that woman come? What's the matter with John? Julian was jumping up and down, longing to see his daddy. I took his hand and headed for the den. When we walked in, I barely recognised John. It had been only a few weeks since we'd last met, but he was thinner, almost gaunt. His face was deadly serious. 
There was no hint of a smile, even when Julian ran up to him. He was, quite simply, not the John I knew. It was as if he'd taken on a different persona. He was sitting on the footstool. Yoka was beside him in the armchair, shrouded by her hair, her face set in an expressionless mask, the fingers of one hand picking at the nails of the other. God, why couldn't he have chosen someone easier, someone I might have related to? What power did she have over him? The thought of her looking after my son was ghastly. Did she feel no remorse or embarrassment? It seemed not. John spoke first. What did you want to see me for? He said coldly. He was defiant, ready for battle, and I was clearly the enemy. I sat down on the sofa. I had hoped that having Julian there would smooth things, but after an initial hug, John had ignored him and the atmosphere was frigid. I sent Julian to see Dot in the kitchen, then took a deep breath. Look, John, can't we find a better way to do this? I haven't been unfaithful to you, I'm sure you know that. John could barely look me in the eye. Forget all that bullshit, Sin. You're no innocent little flower. I tried again. John, I was with my family in Italy. I was with Julian. Do you honestly think I would do that to them or to you? At this point, Yoko disappeared briefly. Dot told me later that she'd gone into the kitchen to ask my mother for a glass of water. Mum told her in no uncertain terms how she felt. Get out of this house. Get out of our lives. Haven't you any shame? Look at this little boy. Don't you care about what you're doing? You're breaking everyone's hearts. Back in the den, John shot another broadside at me. What about that Yankee cowboy? What Yankee cowboy? In India. I could hardly believe what I was hearing. The Yankee cowboy was an American actor called Tom Simcox, whom we'd met at the Maharishi Center. I'd got on well with him, but the idea that we'd had an affair was preposterous. Who would be next in line as my lover? The elderly gardener. Tom had never even hinted at anything untoward between us, apart from once asking me very sweetly if I had a twin sister. Other than that, we talked about art and poetry, mostly around the table with everyone else. Hardly a crime, especially when John was largely ignoring me. Was the old jealousy still rearing its head? Or was he simply looking for a get-out clause, with me as the villain? There was more. You know that when he left Rishi Kesh, that cowboy gave George a letter to pass on to you, but instead he gave it to me. He was being loyal. I was bemused and curious. So what was in this mysterious letter, John? He refused to tell me. I suspected he was disappointed that I hadn't looked more guilty. Yoko came back in. John announced in the same cold, clipped tone he had used throughout. The talking was pointless. I was feeling more and more distressed. I tried one last time. John, please, let's discuss things. We can do that through the lawyers. Then to Yoko. Come on, let's go. He called bye to Julian and marched out of the house, Yoko at his heels. On Friday, June 28th, the recording of another John Lennon song began. The song was titled Good Night. It was a children's lullaby and was written for John's five-year-old son, Julian. It was clear from the start of the session that John was going to hand the lead vocal role over to Ringo whose doleful, plaintive voice suited the song's mood perfectly. Come on now. It's time you little toddlers were in bed. I'm having no more 
gone missing. You've been out to the park all day. You've had a lovely time. Now it's time for bed. Are we ready? Daddy will sing a song. Now it's time. It was me. Do that again. Are we ready? We'll sing the song. Yeah. What? It sounds nice starting like that anyway. Right, off we go. That's it. You do the counting. The beginnings did laugh. Okay. Up in a moment. The Beatles dive into recording their new album. Yellow Submarine has its movie premiere, and tensions start to mount within the group. Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time.
Hey everyone, Paul and James here to tell you about one of the best music podcasts online today. It's called Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Yeah, as longtime listeners of our show know, Take It Away and its hosts, Ryan Brady and Chris Mercer, are the authority on all things Paul McCartney, Wings, and the Beatles. Their five-star rated podcast walks you through every single Paul McCartney release from 1970 to present day. That's every song on every album, including singles, B-sides, bootlegs, and you will most likely hear songs you've never heard before, which is part of the fun of the show. You'll also hear old favorites from new perspectives, all lovingly placed in the context of McCartney's career and the musical sounds of their era. Yeah, and don't miss the amazing interview with Denny Lane, co-founder of Wings and McCartney songwriting collaborator, as well as a slew of other special guest appearances that give some really cool insight into the music that spans the last 50 years. So if you're a McCartney fan, you've found your new favorite show, because I know I have. Seriously, I know never miss an episode and neither should you that's take it away the complete paul mccartney archive podcast available for download now wherever you find podcasts check it out now i'm paul kaminsky and i'm james kaminsky and we are the co-hosts of the third men podcast we are a jack white history podcast where we go over the white stripes third man records the list goes on and occasionally we do a funny voice or two So you're going to probably want to get used to that. Or turn it off. Whatever your preference. Or whatever turns you on. (laughs) Hey now, you're an all-star, because occasionally we'll do an all-star We did do an entire Smash Mouth episode once, that is true. (laughs) We are every other week on Wednesdays, and we are available on iTunes and really wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so why don't you come on and find yourself a little home here with us? We promise we'll be weird roommates. If I want to do the dishes without my pants on, that's my deal. That was weird. See? We weren't even lying. 